2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 13. This is David responding to Nathan the prophet exposing his sin with Bathsheba. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. The Lord has also has put away your sin. And I'm sorry. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. David recognized his sin. He confessed. He knew that his relationship with the Lord was affected. And notice that immediately Nathan tells him that the Lord has put away your sin and you should not die. Now we know in that passage that there are consequences that are going to have to be paid for the sin. But God had forgiven him. He was once again in that instant in a right relationship with the Lord. Ezra chapter 9. The next two examples are Ezra and Isaiah, who are confessing not for their own sin, but for the sin of the entire group, the entire people. And we want to establish the fact that godly people are concerned about the actions of their brethren. And they include themselves in what they're going through. And they understand the effect that sin can have. So just like David confessed to the Lord, they are going to confess on behalf of an entire group of people. So Ezra chapter 9, verse 5. This is Ezra speaking. At the evening sacrifice I arose from my fasting, and having torn my garment and my robe, I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. Here is someone who is humble. Here is someone who is having an emotional response to the sin of the nation. And the sin in this case was the intermarriages that had taken place. That was part of the reason, along with idolatry and disobeying God, that they had went through 70 years of Babylonian captivity. And now they've returned home, and they're once again engaged in the very same types of sins that got them in that situation in the first place. Look at what he says, starting in verse 6. And I said, O oh my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. And then he continues on with a history lesson of all the times that they had disobeyed the Lord and the consequences of that. Isaiah 59 And those of you in the Wednesday night class knew that we would go to Isaiah at some point, didn't you? Isaiah chapter 59. This is Isaiah speaking now. And we're going to get to this passage on Wednesday night in a couple of weeks. But let's start in verse 9 of Isaiah 59. Therefore justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. We all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none. For salvation... 
but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. As for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord, and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. This is Isaiah entreating God on behalf of all the people. He didn't specifically commit these sins. We've talked about the fact that he's going to prophesy for about 50 years. And the words that he gave from God to the people were refused and rejected. And yet, as we've talked about recently in Isaiah 53, it is through this prophet, also called the weeping prophet, that salvation through a Messiah is again confirmed over 700 years before it's going to take place. So why did we start with these passages? Because in James chapter 5 verse 16 it says, Confess your trespasses to one another. Confess your sins to one another. And I think there's a stigma about that. We know that some have this as a wrong idea. The idea, for example, in the Catholic religion that we go into a confessional and we confess our sins. Uh, the fact that there's a very good reason for us to confess our trespasses to one another. And that's what we're going to talk about today from James chapter 5, verse 16. And we're also going to talk about some of the surrounding verses. To give us a little context of the book and a brief overview of the book, James chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, James, a bondservant of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. And of course, we're not going to spend the time this morning with which James this is. There are possibilities. I have my conclusions that I can share with you, but that's not the point of this lesson. The scattered abroad, it could refer to the twelve tribes when they were scattered back when Assyria conquered the northern kingdom. And of course, we know what's going to happen to Judah and Jerusalem. But I think in context, my own personal conclusion, it's talking about those who are scattered after the persecution of Christians. And so remember the fact that these are people who are trying to serve God. And for their efforts of trying to serve God, they're going to be displaced. They're going to be persecuted against. They're going to be mistreated. It's important for us to understand that these first century Christians are going to endure the same trials and hardships that we're going to go through. And you might know that James is often thought of as the first book written um, after the gospel accounts, somewhere between 49 and 52 AD. So let's keep that in mind as well. And then it says in verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. They've been scattered and displaced because they're going to be persecuted. They've been persecuted, and it will continue, and that's what they have to look forward to. And, of course, most of you, when you think of James, you think of chapter 2 about how faith and works work together. We know in James chapter 3 about the tongue and the use of the tongue. When we confess sins... When we confess trespasses to one another, as we saw with David's example, the first responsibility is to confess our sin to God. That's the primary thing we must do. It's our relationship with God. 
But we confess sins to one another because there's benefits in doing that, as we're going to go over in a few moments. But while chapter 3 talks about uses of the tongue that could be not good, we get to James chapter 5, using our tongue for confession is a good thing. It was discussed a lot in Bible class this morning about prayer. We're going to talk about how confession of sin and prayer work together as we could see in James chapter 5. All right, so let's go now and let's take a look at James chapter 5. Now that we know the context a little bit and who this is written to. Before we go to James chapter 5, one more passage I want to look at in James 4 starting verse 7. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter, laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And I think oftentimes, whether it's we have trouble confessing sin to the Lord or confessing things to one another, and I'm not just talking about sin. I'm talking about confessing to one another that, brethren, I want to let you know that I need your prayers. I'm going through something. And the example I kept thinking of this morning is Sister Janelle Gibson with her diagnosis. What can we do about it? Well, we know we could call. We know we could send cards, and many of you will do that. You could send her food. But I would suggest to you, as we see in James chapter 5, the best thing you do for Sister Janelle is pray for her. And we're going to talk about how to pray for her. And that for your prayer to be effective in the case of Sister Janelle, it requires that you are walking the right path, that your prayer is not hindered. Do we understand that connection? That our relationship with God can influence our prayers and how we're trying to pray for others. That those prayers may not be hindered. So this is all about purifying ourselves. It's all about the fact that we know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That we wouldn't have to bear the punishment and guilt of that sin. That we could be cleansed. That we could be pure. But we also know we're not perfect. And we're going to make mistakes. We're all going to sin. We're all going to trespass. Now, as we mature, we hope that those instances become less and less. But again, all of us are capable of committing sin. Now, let's take a look at James chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? So it starts off with that question. Now, this suffering could be physical suffering. It could be persecution. We've heard a lot in the last year, and now that we've started back to football and school, I've seen it firsthand about young people who have suffered mentally and don't know how to deal with life and don't know how to deal with adversity. And my response is nothing but compassion and love for these individuals, knowing that a belief in God and an adherence to His Word and a peace in knowing that Jesus is the Savior could bring that peace of mind and stability that they seek. So all of you out here, you let your light shine. Don't underestimate the influence you could have 
of what people are going through because of all the circumstances that have taken place. Is anyone among you suffering? What does it say to do? Let him pray. Now we know that God gave us a mind and free will. So we know that if you're having chest pains, you better seek medical attention. That's common sense. But we know here that if we're suffering, whether it be emotionally or physically or whatever it is, let him pray. Then it says, is anyone cheerful? So here's someone in a different circumstance. It says, let him sing psalms. So as was suggested in Bible class, no matter what state we're in, whether we're in mourning or whether we're in joy, we should always turn back to the Lord. And it was also suggested in class this morning that sometimes we might not turn to God in good times when things are going well. And yet it says here, if we're cheerful, let him sing psalms. And we think of psalms, we think of the fact that we're edifying one another, we're teaching one another, we're praising God, we're helping focus our minds where they should be. Are you suffering? Pray. Are you cheerful? Sing psalms. Two completely different situations, but both activities focus our minds towards praising and serving God through Jesus Christ our Savior. Verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Now, as we go through this, I'm going to suggest that this is a physical sickness, not a spiritual sickness here. Now, obviously, when someone is spiritually sick, we still pray for them. But I'll give you my reasons in a moment. It says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. I've been an elder for a while now, and I don't recall anyone ever specifically calling me for this. Just want to let you know that this is available. Just like we ask brethren to pray for us. I think part of the challenge is, and, and I know this is my tendency, you know, I was raised to be self-sufficient, responsible. I don't want to bear, uh, burden other people with my problems. And so sometimes I'll just deal with it on my own. But we have this resource that God provided here that we can use. Is it pride that prevents us from relying on the resources that the Lord has given us? Self-sufficiency, and those are good things. But let us not forget, brethren, we have one another. We have fellow brethren. We have, in this case, elders. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I know there's a lot of debate about that, which I'm not going to get into. I think, in the context, this is medicinal. They didn't have hospitals and medicine. I mean, we live in a world where we hear about nothing but medicine. You know, if you watch one of those retro TV stations, which I do because they have all the old shows on, you know, so I guess that tells you what age demographic I identify with now. You know, I'd rather watch like Matlock and Andy Griffin, some of those shows. Um, they advertise all sorts of medicines, right? They didn't have that in the first century. They didn't have universal health care. They didn't have a hospital right down the street. They couldn't dial 911 to help someone who was in a medical condition, right? So, but again, the principle still applies. 
The bottom line is, is they have elders who could pray for you. And elders should be effective in their prayer if they're righteous themselves. Now, if I'm not living my life how I'm supposed to, I could be up here and I could play the role of an elder, but it's not going to help you at all. And that same thing applies to fellow brethren. As we're going to see, it's not just elders. We're going to extend that in just a moment. So sickness is another state or condition. We saw suffering. We saw cheerfulness. We saw sickness. And of course, we know that you could be sick and suffering at the same time. So it's another way that elders can serve. And I just wanted to make that point. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. Do we believe that? Well, I know we've had some members here who were out for a while. And I know that I prayed fervently. And that's not saying that as a pat on the back for myself. That's out of genuine concern and accessing what the Lord gave me an opportunity to use to help my brethren. And I know that some of the people that I'm praying for are here. And I, I praise God for that. It says, the prayer of the faith will save the sick. Do you believe that? We all know that our time is going to expire at some point. So it can't be a situation where, well, they, they died, so I, I guess it doesn't work. I guess I'll give up. Because we ultimately know that God knows better than we do. But don't forget the fact that we have the power of prayer as was suggested in class. And it says in verse 15, And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And that's why I draw the conclusion that when the elders are praying over and anointed with oil, it's a physical sickness because look what it says. If he has committed sins... You can be sick, it's no fault of your own. Uh, sometimes there was a problem with the Jews and thinking about cause and effect. In other words, you know, if you were rich and prospering, it's because you were good. And if you were suffering, it must be your fault. Remember Job, his friends? <laughs> what did you do, Job? Confess your sin. And we know that, that, was, that wasn't the case at all. We know that good brethren have faced all sorts of turmoil through no fault of their own. We also know that we could do it to ourselves, right? We could face the consequences of sin. Prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord is responsible for the healing. More important, though, than physical sickness is the fact that we could be forgiven of sins, as it says in verse 15, and if he has committed sins... He will be forgiven. Because a physical sickness is about our physical bodies which are temporary. But our soul, our spirit is eternal. And being forgiven of that gives us access to eternal life. It allows us to be with God. And it's the reason why Jesus died on the cross. And we cannot forget that. Continuing on. Verse 16. This is the verse that I highlighted. And if you remember nothing else, I want you really to think about this. Now, let's see again what this says. Verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another. If we confess our trespasses to the world, they're going to give us a worldly solution for our trespasses. First of all, many of them are going to say, trespass sin, that's a, who said that's a sin? Who said that's wrong? Because they have a different worldview, they have a different standard. 
But sometimes we could do that. We could tell other people. And if we tell people that aren't in God, they're not going to give us the right advice. They're not going to direct us in the right direction. It's like we talked about in Bible class this morning. Whether it's Philip in the passage we saw or whether it's Thomas, Jesus always directs people back towards the evidence, towards the facts. And that's what we need to remember. But confessing our trans, uh, trespasses to one another, that can be difficult. And please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Don't think every time you sin, you need to go forward and let everyone know that you committed a sin. It's not the case, right? We could talk about public sin, which is really for another lesson. I'll address a little bit of it here. We know if we sin, what do we need to do? We need to go to God and ask for forgiveness through His Son. That's what we do. And will we be forgiven? David was forgiven. And that was before Christ. We're going to go to 1 John in a little while and see what that passage says about it. Verse 16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. So confessing our sin and trespasses isn't about somehow brethren or the group getting their pound of flesh. Hey, we know that person committed sin. We want them to pay the price for their sin. It's about prayer. I'm confessing to you. I'm struggling with this. Brethren, I need your prayers. I need your help. That you may be healed. So we just took a look at the verse before, which talked about being healed. And now we see again that you could be healed of trespasses, of sin. And then the key verse here, the effective... Fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now let's not skip over the adjectives here. Okay, first of all, this is not just called prayer, it's called what? Effective prayer. That means prayer that's going to work. The second thing it's called is fervent. That means we pray, we are fervent, we are intense, we are committed in this. We know that prayer works when we pray. We ask without doubting. That's an important part of this too. And it says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So there's the condition. If I'm not right with God, and I pray for Sister Gibson, I'm limiting my prayer because of my own sin that could help someone else. We really need to let that soak in. And and, and think about that. Confess your trespasses to one another. Why? Because brethren care about us. We're here to help each other. That's a joyous occasion. When someone says, I've erred and I need to return. And all of us go through that. Because we know in that correction, they're right with God. And that's what it's all about. Another reason. Prayer for one another can heal us. It can help heal us. Whether it's God responding to prayers for the sick, or whether it's the fact that that prayer allows us to help our brethren and assist them in something they might be struggling with. Now let's talk about confession in another context. Because again, I think because of image and, well, I don't want people to think I'm weak. I don't want people to think that I've committed sin. Hate to tell you all this, everyone in here has sinned. Right? That's why we need a Christ. So, so being ashamed, and yes, there's things that we should be ashamed to do. 
Because we're supposed to be disciples that we could disgrace his name. And that's why if it's a public occasion, we have to correct that. But you think about Romans chapter 10. And we know what it says in verses 9 and 10 related to confession. Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. None of us have a problem with confessing that Jesus is Christ. We, we did it, right? Now, we might have trouble confessing among certain groups of people. We shouldn't be. So, But why is it that we have no problem when we come to God making this confession? But when it comes to confessing that we need help of our brethren, oh, I don't want to bother anyone. I don't want to burden everyone. It is something that God told us we should do. And that's the part that we want to emphasize. It should be a joyous occasion. When someone says, I haven't been living right, I, I need correction, help me, please pray for me. Or if someone says, look, I've committed a sin publicly. I've repented of it, I just want to let the brethren know that I repented of it, and I need your prayers. That's a joyous occasion. And many of you I have seen have done a wonderful job of when someone comes forward, just because they need help. It doesn't necessarily have to be sin, that you're there to greet them, and to hug them, and to let them know you care about them. That's the whole, the whole point. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, any sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Talked about that this morning in class too. Consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Do you know that we ask someone to pray for us or to help bear our burden? They're fulfilling the law of Christ. Do we think of it that way? This is what God wants. It's not shameful. Why have brethren pray for me? Well, we're not going to turn all these examples because I promised my nephews I was going to keep this short and succinct. And I'm going to stick to that promise. Why? Because I got to tell you, that when Caleb did the read down Psalms last week, that was a great example for me. He got to the point, he was clear, he let God's word do the talking, and he made an application on it. So that's what I'm going to try to accomplish. But Isaiah 38, if you remember the first 22 verses, Hezekiah's prayer, what did that result in? His life was extended. An example of prayer working. In John 17, and Clay started us on the section this morning. Jesus prays for himself, for his disciples at the time, and for all believers. Do we know that Jesus in John 17 prayed for us? He prayed for us? Pretty remarkable when you think about it. And you certainly would want Jesus to pray for us, right? Because we know that he didn't sin. So we know that the Father's going to hear his prayer. We have to get over the stigma of confessing sins to one another, of going forward when we need the prayers, of letting someone who's doing the announcements know that we need this announced because we need the prayers of our brethren. We, we are here to support one another, to love one another. And we have to remember that. We are a resource that the Lord has given us. We should feel blessed. Think about those who are persecuted that were scattered. Think about Paul, for example, in prison, being isolated, not having that support system. 
But he knew that God was with him. We always know that. But we have brethren around us who can help us. The primary purpose of confessing our sins to one another is to ask for brethren to help us overcome that sin. Now, I want to make this point. Matthew chapter 18, because we know this is commonly used. And again, we know that public sin has to be confessed and dealt with. But I want you to notice in Matthew 18 what the context is here, what's going on. It says in verse 15, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained a brother. So if you're aware of something, you go to them first one-on-one. If it says he hears you, so if he hears you, what's he going to do? He's going to confess to God they sinned. He or she, right? And that's it. That matter never becomes public. If we follow this, it never becomes public. Then it says in verse 16, But if we will, if he will not hear, take with you two... I'm sorry, take... I jumped ahead. Take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And I want you to notice there, that that goes back to Deuteronomy. So in other words, you know, this process of witnesses has always taken place. Why? Because when you went to the person one-on-one, they didn't recognize they were in sin. They didn't acknowledge it. So now you're going to take a few more. Again, not to badger, but to get the person to recognize their sin. Why? So they can make their relationship right with God. And then it says, verse 17, And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. I want you to notice something here in Matthew 18 that's very important. This individual who refuses to hear the individual, who refuses to hear the two to three witnesses, and then refuses to hear the church, what did they never do? They never repented of their sin. Is this different than someone coming forward and saying, I confess my sin? Right? This person, Matthew 18, never accepted responsibility for their sin. So while this is a pattern we use, I think it's important to recognize the distinction. If someone comes forward and says, I have sinned, I want the prayers, they've made it right. We don't need to, they've acknowledged that they confessed it. Now we know that repentance of sin is confessing, but also a change of direction. We also know that we can struggle with this, right? Remember when the disciples are asking Jesus about forgiveness? How many times? 70 times 7. Whoa, this is that, that many times we have to forgive someone? And of course, it's not the exact number 490. It's the principle that God will always forgive us of these sins. So again, due to time, Ezra 9 and 10, great passage about confessing sin. It took quite a long time because there were so many intermarriages that took place. But Luke 15, the parable of the lost son, what did the father do when he sees the son afar off? He runs to the son. In other words, God is eager to forgive us when we repent of sin. That's it. Now, let's turn here. 1 John chapter, chapter 1. And again, this will sort of wrap up the lesson here. As I promised, I had some other passages, but I'm going to wrap it up. 1 John chapter 1 starting in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves 
and the truth is not in us. Who's he writing to here? Writing to Christians. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We Instant response. Verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. So again, it's not like when Paul talks about Romans, we don't just keep sinning because we know that we're going to be forgiven. Right? We, we, we try to obey Christ and we try to uh, correct that and walk the proper path. But sometimes it can be hard for us to overcome a sin. You know, and you don't have to answer this, but have you ever had that experience? You struggle with an issue, struggle with something, you ask for forgiveness of it, and then you did it again, you're horrified you did it again. <laughs> but that, it, it's hard sometimes to change, but we can do it. Because again, of what is said here. Ver, verse uh, 1 again of chapter 2, My little children, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin. So that's what we try to do. We try to improve and get better, and we try to reduce the amount of times we sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So I plan to go further into this, but I think I made the point, and that what I want us to dwell on. Confessing sin is not a bad thing. Confessing to one another is a good thing. Asking for our brethren to assist us and pray for us, no matter what trial or circumstance we're going through. Are we suffering? Are we joyous? Are we sick? God's word tells us that we have different ways to respond to it. In terms of suffering and sickness, it is prayer. And we can pray for one another. So let us consider these words... And think about each other and how we could help one another. If you're here this morning and you've not confessed that Jesus is the Christ, He is the Messiah, and that through Him you could have eternal life, if you're willing to acknowledge that you committed sin and repent of those sins and you're willing to be baptized for remission of sins, you could be saved. You could walk in newness of life. But then comes the challenging part of living it the rest of our lives. Let us not forget that we have each other to help us on our journey, on our walk. We don't have to do it alone because of the resources that the Lord has provided. If you're someone that wants to let the brethren know that they, you need prayer, you need assistance, then this is the time set aside to do that. If you have a need, please come forward and let us know as we stand and sing.